So very good. Uh, let us begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. St. John, our Lady Spouse of the Spirit, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So uh, this conference is particularly on Pentecost, but I'm going to emphasize especially the role of the Holy Spirit, not only the moment of Pentecost properly said. And I wanted to, in this one, again, do something a little bit similar to last time in walking through different passages of the Bible and seeing what they tell us, walking through the cathedral of Scripture and looking at different aspects, trying to not stay too long in any one particular passage and only really trying to sense what is the role of the Holy Spirit in it all. And wanted to start out with a comparison between the Tower of Babel and uh, Pentecost. And if we are walking through Scripture in the very beginning of Scripture, and Genesis chapter 11, we have the famous episode of the Tower of Babel. And in this episode, you're going to find what brings unity to humanity And humanity is finding a false unity. They're finding a false unity in their construction. Finding a false unity and God is going to bend down and destroy it and split up all the people into different languages. So let's read. Now the whole earth had one language and a few words. And as men migrated from east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the the language of all the earth And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. 
So again, where do we find our unity? Here, they're finding their unity no longer in God, or no longer in obeying the Lord, or seeking unity with Him, no longer trusting in a higher power, but they're seeking to uh, create the unity of all people through their own construction, their construction of the world. Basically, it's through a technology. It's the first advent of a technology. They invented something new called bricks. And by their bricks, they're building up a city that will go as high as the heavens. So they're making themselves into God. So they're touching the heavens now. And it's interesting, because even after they built all that, God still bends down. It's like he's writing irony into Scripture. He still has to bend down. He bends down, and he breaks them apart. And he scatters them across the earth. Notice, they're wanting to do this so that they might be one and unified. And God breaks them apart and sends them to the different ends of the earth. It's a unity which is a false unity. It's a unity that's found in making ourselves God. Making ourselves into the center of the universe. Making ourselves everything. And so God splits up their language right away. Note, when we're going to turn over to now Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, you're going to have something that is similar and yet different. The Holy Spirit is going to descend upon the Apostles. And he's going to, the Holy Spirit is going to bring about a new unity and a new city, a new construction, a new people, a unity of all people. When the, day, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Sorry, it's Acts chapter 2. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it goes on. Now, already, you notice that there's a fire. And notice the bricks before were also fired. Here, the stones are going to be living stones. They're going to be the apostles. And the fire is going to be that of the Holy Spirit that is going to begin the new, Jeru- the new construction of the new Jerusalem. Note that there's a direct connection between the coming of the Spirit and the building of the new people. The coming of the Spirit is directly connected with the forming of the church and is for the forming of the church. 
note, we don't only have the new living bricks, but we also have, of course, that they're speaking now in their own language and they're understood in all languages. And there's a, something different than there was before. In the Tower of Babel, there is one language for everybody. Now, in the midst of our diversity, there is unity. In the respect of the difference, there is still a great unity, and that unity comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the gift, ultimately, we're going to speak about the gift of charity, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit in the large sense, and everything that he does to make the church church. The coming of the Spirit in Acts is going to be directly given to the apostles, and the apostles are going to go out and they're going to share that Spirit throughout the book of Acts. And again, now it's no longer just a uh, thing about Jesus giving the Spirit or talking with the people and Him being understood, Him doing the miracles. Now the apostles are going to receive the Spirit. And they're going to be new Jesuses. And there's also going, we're going to also find there's a direct connection between the gift of the Spirit and Jesus Christ and the gift of the Spirit and us becoming a new Jesus. Us becoming a new, uh, yeah, presence of God in the midst of the people. A new brick in what we call the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And something that is already really interesting, because it, it took me a little while to actually see the direct connection between the Spirit and the church. And that the Spirit is given so that we might be united to His body. It also is working against the effect of sin. God, because of sin, He breaks apart all the people, divide and conquer splits them to all the different ends of the earth. And now, underneath the Spirit, He's uniting them all in one holy church, one holy apostolic church. And so there's something that is entirely new, and it's as if we have the Tower of Babel in reverse. You'll find similar things, like um, in the cross, you'll find the return to the garden. The return to the garden, there's the new Adam and the new Eve. Here in, in this passage, you definitely find a strong image of a return to the unity of the people that we were called to be. But let's keep on walking through the different passages in Scripture. Note the very end of Scripture, the book of Revelations. There's a lot of passages, but I'm going to use just one little passage to introduce me into the Gospel of St. John. Chapter 22 of the book of Revelations, the very end. Verse 17.
the spirit and the bride say, come. Already it's the spirit and the bride. Who is the bride? The church. The spirit is the spouse of the church and vice versa. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. And there's a direct connection again between water now and the spirit and drinking the water and spirit. So the spirit and the bride say, come. And why are we coming? So that we might drink. So that we might drink of the spirit. Drink of the water. The water of life without price. Now, there's a direct connection like in the book of Acts. We find a direct connection between the Spirit and the church. The Spirit and the bride. The bride is always going to be the church. And Christ's bride and the Spirit's bride. And here there's another concept that's entered into the spectrum. It's water. We had, notice in Acts, we have fire. Now we're having water as another attribute representing the Spirit. In both, there is uh, death. In water, there's definitely life, new life. You know, the water breaking when you're giving birth. The water breaking. Also, the fact you need water to survive, (laughs) very simply. Um, But the importance of water... Also with fire. Fire in the, what I was bringing up is the importance of constructing, constructing the home with the brick, constructing the church. But also with fire, you find the transformation, right? That it transforms us, that it consumes us. It makes us into fire. So if a fire burns wood, there gets, wood always gets to a point where you can't tell the difference between the wood and the fire. And that's where I'm going out with it. Fire transforms. So there's another analogy. So it's interesting. With the Spirit, we have a lot of things that we're bringing up so far. It's there to bring unity of the people. It teaches us a new language. What is that new language? Well, there's the charismatic side. That the church is to respond to all the people of the world through the great charisms of preaching and teaching, through also, of course, the charisms in the traditional sense of um, all the charisms of the body, all the charisms that are given to the body, given to the body, and of course, the gift of tongues, we one of them. There's that, that whole element. What else have we seen so far as we're walking through this cathedral of passages that speak to us about the Spirit? We find most profoundly that the unity comes through the Holy Spirit, meaning 
comes through love, through love of the spouse, for the beloved. Like in 1 Corinthians 12, when it speaks about all the different charisms of the church, how it all makes up the body, but 1 Corinthians 13 corrects that. There's one gift that we should all be looking for, and that is the gift of charity, or the gift of love. If I have the gift of speaking of an- like angels or speaking in tongues, but I have not love, I'm nothing but a sounding gong. So let's move over to the passages where in Scripture the Spirit is seen. And the go- let's move over to the Gospel of St. John. The first passage that I found in the Gospel of St. John where it speaks about the Spirit coming is in the first chapter. And here, where it actually directly speaks about the Spirit after the prologue is when the Spirit descends upon Jesus. when he is being baptized. So it would be verse 29 and following. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was, he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water in the Spirit, said with water, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's a lot in this little passage. There's a lot of different points about the Spirit. Now, there's a lot to this passage. There's a whole aspect about the Lamb of God. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. And that's incredibly important. And uh, that's probably one of the more important themes in all of Scripture. But today we're not talking about that. Today we're talking about the Spirit. And nevertheless, we see here there is a connection between the Spirit and the Lamb of God. He sees, saying, behold the Lamb of God. And then after that, after he, he says, after me comes a man who ranks before me. For he was before me. It's a recognition that he is the Son of God. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And the connection with baptism. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven. Ah, there's another analogy. Spirit and dove. Spirit and dove. What is the dove? Remember Noah's Ark? 
Remember Noah's Ark? It was a, one of the first appearances of Dove, right? Of the Dove that's sent out. Remember also that the Spirit coming down is the Spirit of peace, a messenger of hope. The Spirit comes down and sometimes, I mean, you'll read like in St. Thomas that we're wondering if this is an incarnation of the Spirit because is it a real dove or is it just an image of a dove? Is it an incarnation of the Spirit? Anyways, that's neither here nor there right now because I'm not going to be able to give an answer to that. Um, and it, so if it was an incarnation, is that dove eternal? <laughs> Fun questions, but no answer. Um, I myself did not know him, but he who, send, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What is that? What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is this baptism in the Holy Spirit that he's talking about? And it's a great question. And it's to be differentiated from the baptism of John here. John is giving a baptism of repentance from sin. And he is going to give a baptism in the life of the Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, uh, so far it doesn't really say in this passage of Scripture. (laughs) It doesn't really say what that is, right? I mean, you have to go to more passages to figure out what the baptism of the Spirit is. You can go just to chapter 3, and we're going to talk about baptism. And you're going to see that it's very much linked with baptism, baptism. Like when we think of baptism, like the sacrament of baptism. But right here, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say the sacrament of baptism. It doesn't even say he baptizes with water in the Spirit. It just says baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so there's something there because there's something also that needs to be seen, that he is going to be gifting us his spirit so that we might live of his life. That this spirit is going to flow from him. But first thing I wanted to mention too is that the spirit descends upon him too. It's not just coming from him to us. Here in this passage, the Spirit is descending on him. And the Spirit symbolizes a lot of things. We could spend a long time just analyzing the baptism. It symbolizes, for example, the anointing of the kings, how he is priest, prophet, and king. He is anointed with the oil of the Spirit in this passage. You could talk a lot about that. And that is very true and very good to go into. But it is this beginning also of his ministry to go out. He receives the Spirit and he goes out. He didn't receive the Spirit. Well, he's God, so he always had the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But first to make things clear. But we don't read this passage where it says he was born three days later. He went in front of John the Baptist and received the Spirit descending upon him. It wasn't at that moment. It's at the beginning of his apostolic ministry that we have this passage. 
So that's also very important. Like, for example, in Acts. In Acts, they're afraid in the upper room. They receive the Spirit, and they go out. And they go out. So there's also a connection that's very strong in Scripture between the receiving of the Spirit and the strength to go out. It's a passage that goes throughout all of Scripture. Throughout all the New Testament, it's very clear. But in the Old Testament, too, it's only by God that they're able to win against the other armies. It's only by God that it's when they leave God, they leave the Spirit, that they're condemned, they get taken over, and then they have to be saved again when they come back to God. But it's explicitly through the act of the third person in the Trinity that we find it in New Testament that we're, we go out on mission. You can also look at another passage, which is the beginning of life of Christ. Because if this one, if we're looking at parallels and we're pulling upon the tapestry of what is the Spirit, there is another passage which talks about the very beginning of the life of Christ. And there, the Holy Spirit descends upon Mary. Right? And what passage is that? That's Luke chapter 1. Here, the Holy Spirit descends at the beginning of his uh, apostolic ministry, and he goes out with strength. At the beginning of Luke, the Holy Spirit descends upon Our Lady. And, you know... Verse 26 and following of chapter 1 is a famous part which, with all these passages, I would love to spend a lot of time, but we're trying to just stick with one topic, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Mary, right? And in this passage makes us say that Mary is seen as the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Because how does she become pregnant? The Spirit. She is daughter of the Father because she's really seeing to be daughter Zion here. She is the daughter of the Father, the spouse of the Spirit, and the mother of the Son. And the mother of the Son in this passage. And so it's very Trinitarian. The angel representing the Father speaking to her and asking if she would. So in this passage, um, let's go forward a little bit. The, she asks, how could this be for I am a virgin? Angel responds in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and, and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And further down, verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So there's so much to go into in this. But notice that when the Holy Spirit comes down upon her, um, it bears fruit. And it's a really big fruit. <laughs> it's a very important fruit here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're talking a 
big fruit, but it does. The Holy Spirit comes down upon her and immediately bears fruit. But it has to do with her, yes, and blessed is she. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Exactly. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And when the Holy Spirit comes down upon her, it's because of her, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Her fiat, we call that. It's traditional to call it that because of the Latin. The Latin, fiat mihi secundum voluntum tuum, if I remember correctly. And it's this, the first word of her, let it be done. Let it be done. The fiat. It's not a car. It's, <laughs> it's not a car. It's a, it's a word, <laughs> which, which means let it be done. <laughs> and so this fiat of Our Lady in, allows for the Spirit to come. And it's interesting because there the fiat is not like the Tower of Babel. I will make it happen. Where I'm going to construct my way up to heaven. Mary's attitude, her response was not, I can do it. Nor was it, I cannot do it. <laughs> you know, it was very simple. It was, let it be done unto me according to thy word. It was, uh, yes, but it, she didn't even say yes. You know, she found a way out of that dilemma of saying yes, meaning I could do it. Or no, false, both senses would be false humility or pride. And so, in that, in that passage, how does she invite the Spirit down upon her? By her fiat. By her fiat. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. Being entirely available for God to work in you. And availability here isn't just saying I'm passive because her whole life is engaged. <laughs> I mean, literally, her whole life is going to be transformed. So it's going to imply many actions on her side and a very strong will on her side and a very strong will to persevere. But it's interesting. So the Holy Spirit descends upon her and it bears fruit immediately. And it's going to be a fruit that will... <coughs> change the world, change the world around her immediately and eventually change the whole world. But it happens by her cooperation. And her cooperation is in the fiat, is in her saying, let it be done unto me according to thy will. And allowing God to do what he wishes with her. But it implies not just being passive, like I'm sitting there waiting for God to do it. So when she hears it, now she's going to run. She's going to run off to her cousin Elizabeth right away. She doesn't say, okay, Lord, you said about the cousin, but does that mean, Lord, that you want me to go visit her? Or does that not mean it? You've got to explain this to me, God, because I need it to be super clear. She doesn't, she doesn't start to do that. She doesn't start to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She doesn't, but she doesn't do that, you know? She, she hears that her cousin needs help, and she runs. She acts upon it. So it's not this fiat that's, that is misunderstood and means that I'm just, I'm ready, God, but you've got to explain. I'm ready. 
That's not the, that, that's also way too passive. Nor do you see that in Pentecost. You don't see that with the apostles either. You see, with the Pentecost, they too were afraid. But they were sinners, so their fear wasn't as pure as Mary's fear. Mary's fear was afraid of doing something wrong to offend my father kind of fear. Their fear was, I don't want to get killed. <laughs> it was like, I need to save myself a little bit here. <laughs> you know, A little bit of that in them. A little bit of that. And it also, generally, the fear of not knowing what to do. They also had that, uh, the same kind of fear as Mary, too. But they had a bit of a mix. We can be sure of that because they're not immaculate. Because they're not immaculate. Now, that fear is overcome by the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the gift of the Holy Spirit, often we sit there waiting, saying, let it be done according to thy will, but we don't act. We don't act. We don't run out to our cousin, Elizabeth. We don't run out to our cousin, Elizabeth. We don't act upon the indications of the Spirit. Did she know that the Holy Spirit was asking her to go to Elizabeth? She had indications, but she didn't know. She didn't know. Because the Holy Spirit didn't say to her, the angel didn't say to her, go to the cousin Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit just mentions, and by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. <laughs> you know? And leaves it to her to figure that out. Leaves it to her. Similarly with the apostles, they don't have a map that's given to them immediately. But they have the strength that's come down from on high. Which is also... Very interesting how the Holy Spirit works. Moving forward, um, moving forward, uh, you can skim through a little bit. I would love to talk more about Nicodemus and the Spirit and the water and being baptized in the Spirit and the water. That is a very important part. Uh, but It would be nice also to speak about chapter 4 of John. Chapter 3 being Nicodemus, chapter 4 of John, showing us about how we are to receive the what? What is it? It's called living water. That's what it is. The living water, which I've already referred to in the end of the book of Revelations. There's a direct bond between the spirit and the living water. And here... It's symbolized between uh, Jesus and a woman who has no husband whom he's meeting at a well. And what has to happen? He has to give her living water so that she might really become his spouse. The whole symbolism of she, she has five, she's had five husbands and the one she's with right now is not her husband. Taking on the, one, the whole symbolism of what was going on with the Samaritans in their past and their five different gods that they had been given to. And the one that they're with right now wasn't yet correct. He meets her at the well to correct her love and to have her to enter into this new marriage, this marriage in the spirit, in the spirit, and teaches her how to correct it by adoration. In, or worship in the spirit and truth. In worship and spirit and truth. 
how to correct her love, how to correct everything that she is, everything that's sinful in her. It's funny, you ever think about that? Why does he meet a woman at a well and give her living water? It's interesting. And the whole thing of the gift of the living water is the symbol of the Spirit. And so he's giving her the Spirit. And the well is definitely throughout Scripture, the meeting of, it's where you go to meet your wife. Throughout Scripture, it's always where you go to meet your wife for some reason. It's always strange. Why do you go to meet your wife at a well? I don't know. But nevertheless, it is so. It is such. It's where they meet their wives. And now there's all kinds of reasons why. I'm just playing. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it is the place where they meet their wives. And here Jesus meets this woman and is a symbol of the church. and the uniting of the other nations outside of the Jews, the Samaritan people, and those that are far into the fold, into the church. And so again, it's the Spirit, if we're going to take one thing, it's the Spirit, it's the living water that's going to do this. I need to skip a little bit. Or else I'm never going to go forward. Yeah? This, this living water is the same as holy water. Nope. Nope. But, but there is an analogy. Um, all the sacraments, all sacraments are, could be called living water in a sense. In a sense, they could. In a sense that all the sacraments give us the Holy Spirit. All sacraments give us the Holy Spirit. And sacramentals, like holy water, if we have faith, become ways in which the Holy Spirit is given to us. Living water is given to us. And so holy water in a particular way could do that. But notice, what is the difference between sacrament and sacramental? What is the difference between the two? A sacrament, we say there's seven sacraments. Sacramentals is anything that's been blessed. And a sacramental, another major difference is that a sacrament has power in itself. So, for example, the Eucharist is the famous, is the most important one, easiest to see. Is the if you believe that Jesus is present in the Blessed Sacrament, he's there. If you don't believe that he's present in the Blessed Sacrament, he's still there. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't matter <laughs> if you believe or you don't believe. He's still there. Um, and it's still, he's still giving grace from the Blessed Sacrament. Sacramentals are only actuated by your faith. So blessing your car doesn't do anything unless you pray and you believe. <laughs> and you, you ask and you ask. It's not magic. It's not going to just make your car safe, for example. <laughs> it's not going to do that. It, it can help you to become holy in your car um, if you believe. And you ask, and you ask that all the angels surround you and that they, they guide you. 
and that you... So it's dependent more upon your act of faith when you're talking about sacramentals and sacraments. Anyways, hopefully that helps a little bit in the distinction between the two. Um, So holy water doesn't do anything if you don't believe, in a sense. But if you do believe and you go to your, your child's house and you bless it, <laughs> okay, well, that could work. Yes, yes, yes. Because of your faith. Not because of your child's faith, because of your faith. Because of your faith. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> now, let's uh, move forward a little bit. Um, the big passages... Probably the most beautiful passage for the Holy Spirit is John 14 to 16. But we're not going there yet, so get ready. Um, I've been, if I went there first, I'd spend the whole time on that. Uh, and so I didn't want to go there first. Uh, John 7, verse 37 and following. It's an incredibly beautiful passage. Um, 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Very good. So that speaks already a a lot about the Spirit, because it says, If anyone thirsts, come to me. So we have a direct connection between the Spirit and water and thirstiness. And here it's even more explicit than that one in Revelations. Because one in Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come, let he who thirsts drink. But now it's directly saying that out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It is the spirit. Out of his heart shall flow the Holy Spirit. So here is probably, I think it's the most explicit scripture and passage in John that binds together water and spirit. We've brought up a lot already, but I think it's the most explicit. It also binds together the blood and water that flows from the side of Christ to the gift of the Holy Spirit. For from his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It also says, is a nice play on words in Greek, apparently. For is it out of Jesus' heart or is it out of the disciples' heart that shall flow rivers of living water? In this passage, it could go either way. Do we come to him and drink because out of Jesus' heart is flowing rivers of living water? Or do we come to him and drink and therefore out of our hearts flow rivers of living water? In this passage, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Um, And so that's a very powerful, powerful passage. And then let's read that verse 39 again. 
Now, this he said about his spirit, about the spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. So he's speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's after he was glorified, meaning resurrected, that he would give his Spirit. And then out of their hearts shall flow rivers of living water. And here, I mean, there's so much connected now. So it's like, when you think of us being church, we think of it too often and too human of a way. Now it's literally us receiving the water flowing from his side that makes us church. It's literally receiving the spirit that comes forth from Christ that makes us church. Leading us into chapter 13. And just looking at it really quick. Just looking at the structure. Because sometimes I'll, I'll go into chapters 14, 15, and 16. And I'll spend the whole time on a couple verses. But here with chapter 13, what happens in chapter 13? You remember it's the Last Supper. The Last Supper is given... The Eucharist is given. The Eucharist is given, and after giving the Eucharist, he speaks to us about the Spirit. He also speaks, we've also just read about coming and drinking, and and then out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. And how do we come to him and drink? And ultimately, it's by going to the cross, by drinking from the blood and water that flows from his side. And how do we do that? He's going to speak about the Holy Spirit right after giving us the Eucharist. Because it's through the Eucharist that we receive the Spirit. But it's not just through the Eucharist. It's just the main way. (laughs) It's just one of the main ways that we receive it. It's one of the greatest ways. That's why he'll go as far as saying... If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And what kind of life is he talking about? It's the life of the Spirit. It's eternal life. It's the eternal life that he gives to us through the Spirit. The Eucharist is going to be the thing. So even before we get to chapter 14, 15, 16, the placing of those chapters already is immense. That he's telling us this at the moment of the consecration of the Eucharist. That, that too is very important. The formation of the church, that the church becomes one through the Eucharist. Well, through the Spirit, right? But the Spirit is given to us through the Eucharist which means actually is given to us through his heart, through his body, you know, through him, (laughs) through him. And we receive him in the Eucharist. But Now, remember too, also, we talked about how the Spirit came down upon Jesus and then he goes out. Well, the Spirit comes from Jesus now to us and we go out. 
There's that whole aspect too. That's why those themes I was talking about last time and I, I hopefully will talk about a lot over the years, like uh, it is better that I go when Jesus says in chapter 16, also says at the end of chapter 14, it is better that I leave you. We talked about it when we talk about the ascension. It's better that I go so that I can send you the paraclete, the second paraclete. I could say, it's better that I go so I could send you that second paraclete. It's nice. It's, it's better that I go so I can give you that spirit that I received. So again, Jesus receives the spirit and now he's going to give, give us the spirit. And there, in that, it's better that I go so I can send you the, the spirit. That's saying, literally, he, he's going to send us the spirit. We receive the spirit through him, through his body, through his life. Now, some more passages. Let's, let's go through uh, John 14 real quick. Let's just take uh, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Notice it's another counselor. So who was the first counselor? Because it's another one, right? You notice that? So that means there was a first one. Who is the first one? Jesus. Jesus is the first counselor. He is the second counselor or the first advocate, or lawyer. No. <laughs> no, 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 that doesn't work. But nevertheless, the defender, the one who will stand and advocate for you, the one who is your paraclete. Okay, I'll give you another counselor. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. Rather. And that's nice. So it's a spirit of truth. And why can you receive him? Because you know him. Because you know him. Because you're able to see him. The, there, you ever notice that there, it seems like there are those that are blind to the spirit. I think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He just doesn't see. He just doesn't see. And everything that God does just makes it harder and harder and harder and harder. Um, his heart, that is. Um, harder and harder. And... There are those who stubbornly, willfully refuse to see. Refuse to see. There, are, there is evil out there. And not all will choose to see. So it's interesting. It's not a spirit of love in this passage also. You notice that? He doesn't say the spirit of love. It says the spirit of truth. Other places will be a spirit of love. There's 
But in this passage, it says spirit of truth. It's another aspect. And notice verse 18. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see you no more. And it's interesting. He's going to go to the Father. He's going to send us his counselor. Skip a little bit. I like that verse 18 because it says, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you desolate. That's a theme that keeps on coming back in these chapters. And how is he not going to leave us alone? Well, he'll come back and he's sending us his spirit. And it's true that when the spirit dwells within the apostles, they're filled and they're not alone anymore. It's very true. They felt alone when they're in the upper room before the Spirit comes. But when the Spirit comes, they are not alone anymore. They are not desolate. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring you to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That's nice. Because the Holy Spirit speaks within your heart and teaches you all things. And without that spirit within you, you will not come to understand. This means many things. I mean, properly speaking, we could speak about sensus fidei. The sensus fidei, sorry. The sense of the faithful. A basic Catholic doctrine, if you read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is that the Word of God works through the hearts of the faithful. That the collective church, the body of Christ, will always be guided by the Spirit. You see it in, for example, um, the lady that's going to Mass every day, um, who is praying and trying to receive the Spirit, who's never studied theology, but hears this homily from Father and goes, hmm, something's wrong. You ask her, what's wrong? Mm, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. That's not Jesus. No, no. You, know? you, see, it, <laughs> you see it in that faithful that can't put words to it, but senses. That's why we speak about the sense of the faithful. That's why we use that term. The sense of the faithful that's guiding But that sense of the faithful also, always, whenever we're speaking about the catechism, we're putting it in conjunction also with the magisterium, which is the official teaching body of the church. Because a sense of the, the faithful alone would go off. But God didn't give us just the sense of the faithful. He gave us many things. <laughs> That's not the only way the Spirit works. But it's also, it's important to hear that. Because when the Holy Spirit descends upon you, and you are truly in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does guide you to the truth. <laughs> okay? That's why we speak of senses, the sense of the faithful. The Holy Spirit does guide you to the truth. And you should be listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. And that's why we speak about Lexio Divina. You're supposed to read the scripture until the face of Christ comes off the page and speaks to your heart. Even if you don't feel it. Don't be the measure of your own sanctity. You're not supposed to feel it, but you're supposed to let... Nevertheless, it's supposed to be personal. Yes. Personal is different. Like, I could say something personally to you and you're like, I hear you. But you don't necessarily feel like, ah. <laughs> you know, 
you don't necessarily feel like all taken up by it. That's another thing. That doesn't mean holiness. Taken up by it means maybe you're a baby and God has to give you candy all the time, so you're ah, ah, all the time. That may be what it means. Because many of the saints, many of the saints didn't feel that at all. And and Saint Teresa of Avila would say it's often for the beginner that God would give those graces. But nevertheless, the sense of the faithful is not the, it's the sense that this is Christ. This is the way that Christ is calling us. It's a sense that this is the word of God and this is what I'm asked. So it's, it's a freeing thing. It's not an emotion. And so it's interesting to start to take this little skip, skipping through the passages, um, J- jumping through, skipping through the forest, tra la 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 la. The little little jumps through the different passages. If you wanted to go a little bit further, we could talk about uh, John fifteen twenty six. And here, this is very nice because it says, "But when the Counselor comes, whom I shall send to you." But wait, that's not all. From the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Notice, it's Jesus sends from the Father. So it's both. It's Jesus and the, and the, and the Father who send the Spirit. Which is, remember how, I don't know if you ever learned, but how we speak about how the unity of the coming together of the Father and the Son spirates the Spirit. Eternally. So the Spirit is eternally the fruit of the Father and the Son. Eternally. And here, Jesus is saying, What is it? Let's read it again. Whom I shall send you from the Father. It's the two of them. He sends it to us from the Father. Remember, how does the creed go? How does the creed go? It goes, precedes Father and the Son, right? Yeah, the Father, the filioque, the Father and the Son, that he proceeds from the, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's interesting. And here's a passage where it's the Father and the Son that send us the Spirit. But notice it's the Son that sends because he's with the Father. That was the main reason for the split between the Orthodox and the Catholics. Because one, one that used to be, the, that was the main reason at the time. It's no longer a reason of contention. We now agree. But at the, for about 800 years, that was the, re, the, me, the main reason for division. They said no, and we said yes. So it's nice to see it in passage of Scripture. And very good. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an insight into the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Um, I didn't address all the other passages in chapter 16, and I did not address um, 17 would be nice, but no time. Um, Chapter 20, I didn't address that. Chapter 20, 
Last year, I talked to you about three Pentecosts. I spoke about how there's a gift of the Holy Spirit through the water and blood that flows. And that goes to Mary and John, because they're sitting right. Mary, John, and Mary Magdalene, who are sitting at the foot of the cross. Especially Mary and John, because he says, Behold my mother, behold your mother, behold your son. And then he says, I thirst. He dies, his heart, blood and water flows. So that first one was for Mary and John. And then I talked about last year how the second one is for the apostles. And that's in John 20. In John 20, when he arrives in the upper room and he breathes upon them. And he says, uh, let he whom you forgive be forgiven and he who, yeah, etc. Um, he gives them the power of forgiveness. And then the third one is the one that we read in Luke. And that's another whole talk to go into. There's a lot. There's a lot in Scripture just on, on that one passage. And that's not even going into the entire Old Testament. But it's kind of fun walking through Scripture on one particular point, right? It's kind of fun doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful to pull it all together. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm not, a, I'm not a tapestry artist either, but you get the idea. You know, you pull on a little thread and it all comes through. One time I was uh, really interested and I read through all, all the scripture in, on everything that is ever said on wine. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah, it was, it was also to see what we say about it morally. I want to see what we say about it morally. Is it morally okay to drink wine? Is it not okay to drink When is it okay to drink wine? When is it not okay? That's really interesting. But it's interesting to take a theme that interests you in the moment. And it's a great way to keep your Lexio Divina alive. You're reading a scripture alive. So that it's always moving forward. So I did, of course. Did you do, did you do a concordance? Did you concordance. Like concordance. Oh. Uh, we have concordances, but you can go on to, you can get a concordance on an app too. I would suggest having a book, buying one. Because it's nothing like having a book when you're doing that. But a concordance is um, a book that has, uh, it's like a dictionary kind of thing. You can look up a word like wine, and you'll find all the passages in Scripture that have wine in it. And then you can go to those uh, with your Bible. Or like, for example, love or truth. And you could just, because those are bigger ones, wine is less there's not as many passages on wine. But if you go like to love in all of Scripture or something, you're there for a long time. So it's better to do just one gospel or something like that or a short amount of passages Yeah, on love. Um, or like spirits, that would be a lot. Um, very good. I hope you enjoy that kind of reading through of the Scriptures and I hope it helps. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.